0: Welcome back. It's reading through the New Testament. This is Pastor Spencer. We are continuing now. We are in week 40. Week 40, this is for the week of October 2nd, um, all the way through October the 8th. 8th, I believe it is. So we are reading in the uh, pastoral epistles, those letters that Paul wrote to Timothy and to Titus. We're in that portion of the New Testament. Thank you for listening, and I hope you're uh, enjoying reading through the scriptures, being encouraged uh, by the Bible as we as we read it together, as we uh, try to um, understand uh, what God has to say to us Um in his word, so here we are. We are uh reading in first Timothy chapter 6 through 2 Timothy 4. And uh, I want to give a little bit of background, real quick, some of those key dates, you know, facts about the, the Timothy and the uh, letters that Paul wrote to him. Um, because we didn't do that, I don't think, last time, and then we'll we'll dive in. But it's important to be reminded that Paul is writing to Timothy, and Timothy is kind of one of his right-hand men, isn't he? Uh, Timothy's probably in his 30s that, when Paul writes to him here in these uh, letters. And he's writing to Timothy, who is uh, in Ephesus, in the, and Timothy is there uh, as Paul's like representative he, in a sense, and that's, and that's a very important thing to, to be reminded. Whenever we read these letters of Paul to Timothy and also to Titus, Timothy and Titus, while they are shepherding people and doing pastoral work, we, it's not necessarily the same thing as uh, what we have here at MMBC, having pastors, local church, permanent resident pastors. Timothy and Titus were actually workers with Paul, and so they were kind of like Paul's representatives, Paul's delegates. So it would almost be like if the Apostle Paul was living today, and uh, something was wrong in our local church, or something was going on there. He, um, because apostles, right? The office of apostle is one that uh, pertains to the whole church. Um, God had a, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ instituted and, and appointed a select number of apostles um, in the early church to lay the foundations for the Christian faith, Paul being one of them. And so when Paul sends Timothy and sends Titus out, he's sending them as his representatives, and they really are entrusted with authority um, that uh, to do things because of uh, the, uh, their relationship to, to Paul. Um, And that's very important, I think, just to be reminded that Timothy and Titus are not pastors Um, They, in the sense in which they're local, permanent resident pastors. They were sent for a specific mission by Paul to put the church in order, to put some things in order. And Paul writes these in the early early to the mid-60s, in uh, the 60s AD. He writes the first one, 1 Timothy. He writes it from Macedonia, the second letter to Timothy. He writes from Rome. And in both instances, Timothy is here in uh, Ephesus. And so he's giving Timothy some instructions as his representative as to how the church should function, as to what the church needs as an institution because Paul understands, like the apostles understood, there was going to be a day when there would be no apostles. There was going to be a day whenever the church needed to be fully uh, set up, um, really in a sense as an institution, um, as a visible institution in this world, so that the uh, message of the gospel could be uh, handed down from age to Age And of course, the church had been founded, but now there's kind of this um, kind of like uh, what, you, what they're trying to do is to really establish the church uh, so that whenever the apostles are gone, the church is set up on a good foundation that they can carry on the teaching of the apostles that was given them by Jesus Christ and that we can then pass on that message to unbelievers, to our children, and then our children can pass that down to their children and so on. So that this message of the gospel continues to be passed down and received and then passed down again through the church, in the church. The church is God's, what does Paul call it, The, uh, the pillar of the truth. Um, and so it's so important. That's what we're doing here when we're reading these these letters that Paul writes to Timothy, as well as the letters that Paul writes to Titus. Well, last week we read in 1 Timothy, and I want to read again, um, but I want to do this time from 2 Timothy. And I'm going to use that uh, thing, uh, the Interpreter, which is really a devotional Bible that Charles Spurgeon used. I want to use that for uh, this one, and I want to use it again in the next a reading, which will be from uh, Titus 1, and then we will be introduced into Hebrews 1. That's for next week, week 41, uh, before. Um Uh, We get into Hebrews, and then we will we will look we will go elsewhere uh, as we think about how to how to understand the scriptures. But I think this is very helpful. Spurgeon put together this devotional Bible, and and like last time, you'll notice I'm going to intersperse Spurgeon's comments that he has there with the actual text of scripture. So just be aware of that. You're hearing scripture read, but you're also hearing Spurgeon's comments, helpful comments to help us to uh, just kind of process, to meditate, to think about what God is saying to us in his word. So we're going to read these uh, from 2 Timothy 1, 2, 3, and 4 uh, this, this week. So let's begin. This is from 2 Timothy chapter 1. And Spurgeon opens up and says, The second epistle to Timothy is remarkable as being probably the last which the apostle wrote. It contains, it contains dying advice written in the immediate prospect of martyrdom. Looking forward calmly to the grave and with the executioner's axe in the foreground, Paul pins this letter to his favorite disciple and solemnly charges him to abide faithful unto death. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father, and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience, that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy." When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. Spurgeon says we see here the inmost heart of Paul. Deserted by many of his friends and in the feebleness of old age, expecting a cruel death, he cherishes the memory of his beloved young disciple and longs to look once more upon his face. With joy he remembers the holy mother and grandmother of his friend and the unfeigned piety of Timothy himself. How natural and how touching! Verse 6, Wherefore I put thee in remembrance, that thou stir up the gift of God, which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, Spurgeon writes, do not hesitate to come to Rome and bear with me the reproaches and dangers which belong to the ministers of Christ. Back to the scripture, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Spurgeon writes, The old man, eloquent, feels his soul kindling as he describes the glories of the gospel, eternal in its purpose, matchless in its achievements. He sits on the brink of the grave and sings of one who hath abolished death. Faith in the resurrection could alone suggest such a triumphant exclamation verse 11 whereunto i am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the gentiles for the which cause i also suffer these things nevertheless i am not ashamed for i know whom i have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which i have committed unto him against that day hold fast the sound form of wo- sa- the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in christ jesus Spurgeon writes, this is the main burden of the apostles pleading with Timothy, hold fast. We have equal need of the same exhortation, for this is an evil day, and thousands hold everything or nothing as the winds of opinion may change. Verse 14, that good thing which was committed unto thee, keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. This thou knowest, that all they which are in Asia be turned away from me, of whom are Phagellus and Hermogenes. The Lord give mercy unto the house of Onesiphorus, for he oft refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he was in Rome, he sought me out very diligently and found me. The Lord grants unto him that he may find mercy of the Lord in that day, and in how many things he ministered unto me at Ephesus thou knowest very well. Spurgeon writes, This good man is here immortalized. When he risked his life to find out and secure a poor, despised prisoner, he little knew that he would live forever on the page of the church's history. His cup of cold water given to an apostle has received an apostle's reward. Are there any yet alive like Paul to whom we might minister in love after the manner of Onesiphorus? 2 Timothy chapter 2 Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things which thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him with who hath chosen him to be a soldier." Spurgeon writes, soldiers must be free from other business, and it is well for ministers not to encumber themselves with any other pursuit, but give themselves wholly to their master's work. If so, their people must see that they are supplied with all they need, even as a nation sees that its soldiers have their rations and all other necessaries. And if a man, this is verse 5, and if a man also strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned except he strive lawfully. The husbandman that laboreth must be first partaker of the fruits. Consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, wherein I suffered trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds. But the word of God is not bound. Spurgeon writes, this was his consolation. He was bound, but the gospel was not. Verse 10, "'Therefore I endure all things for the elect's sakes, that they all may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. It is a faithful saying, "'For if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful. He cannot deny himself.'" Spurgeon writes, here we have another Christian proverb and, in fact, a hymn of the early church. It should be learned by heart and often quoted by us. Verse 14, of these things put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth but shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. Spurgeon writes, We must keep clear of mystifyings, spiritualizings, traditions, and idle controversies. Plain sailing is best for Christian men. Verse 17, And their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already, and overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his, and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Spurgeon says, the sentences inscribed upon the seal are precious and practical. There is the secret of the Lord and the open manifestation of it. Election and holiness are bosom companions. Verse 20, but in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. Spurgeon writes, fit to be used of God, is not this a glorious condition, prepared not for some good work, but for every good work? Is not this a grand attainment? Let us aim at this, and never rest till we reach it. Verse 22. Flee also youthful yet lusts, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace, with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strifes. But the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach patient, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. Spurgeon here writes, leave theories for those who like them, and by the grace of God, love and live the realities of religion, whatever they may cost you. And here, isn't it? I think this is helpful because Spurgeon is called, or Timothy is uh, being called by Paul back to remember the basic, the uh, plain things of the Christian religion, the most important things Jesus Christ raised from the dead, uh, forgiveness of sins, um, enduring with him. Focusing on the scriptures, uh, like what Spurgeon says here, plain sailing is best for Christian men when he says, we must keep clear of mystifying, spiritualizing, traditions, and idle controversies. There are things in the scriptures that are not very clear, and we need to be honest about that. And now, that might be uh, because of our sinful minds, and we definitely think that is part of the problem. On the other hand, God has not chosen to reveal all things plainly in the Bible. Uh, Some things are hard to understand. Even the Apostle Peter said that about Paul's writings. So some things in the Bible are, we're going to have uh, disagreements in this world till Jesus comes back. And we need to remember that, and that should promote a mixture of humility, I think, in in us, but also uh, so that uh, humility in the sense that we realize we could be wrong about some of these lesser matters. Um, But on the other hand, the most important things, the plain things, the plain sailing that Spurgeon talks about, things like the Trinity, one God eternally existing in three persons, the fact that we are saved not because of what we do or who we are, but because of what Jesus did for us, that, we, um, that once we have been justified by faith in Jesus Christ, we can never lose that standing. Um, the things about the eternal heavens, eternal hell, those plain things and how we ought to live, particularly as that's summarized in the Ten Commandments, those things right there are plain, aren't they? We should all agree upon those things. And while there may be other matters about which we disagree, um in the christian life let's make sure that we don't uh give up on the most important things uh about christ his salvation his glory and uh and how we ought to live in light of that okay now to timothy chapter three this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come for men shall be lovers of their own selves covetous Spurgeon writes, These persons will be in the church and trouble it exceedingly. Many such are already around us, and they are on the increase. It is little use controverting with them or seeking to set them right. We had better leave them to their own devices, and as they are in the Lord's hands, he will know how to deal with them. Verse six, For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins led away with diverse lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. These deceivers, Spurgeon writes, acted like Jesuits, spreading their doctrines secretly among the weaker sort. Truth fears not the light, but falsehood is a night bird and flies abroad by stealth. If any religious teacher asks us to conceal from our friends what he has told us, we may be sure that he is good for nothing." Now, that right there is very strong words, isn't it? Uh, but that's a good reminder, actually, what Spurgeon here is saying, that there are men who come along and who eventually, uh, as we see here in, in the letter to Timothy, um, they, they go around and, and spread their doctrine secretly, not openly. Transparency is always a very important thing in the life of an individual, but also in the life of a church. Um, we want to uh, be public, and honest about what we teach, what we believe, who we are. And we need to be very careful about people who want to ask us to conceal things. Um, And Spurgeon says, we may be sure if any religious teacher asks us to conceal from our friends what he has told us, we may be sure that he is good for nothing. Verse 8, now as Giannis and Jambres Um, Spurgeon points out these are Pharaoh's magicians. Um, Back to verse 8 Withstood Moses, if these men withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth, men of corrupt minds, reprobate concerning the faith. But they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifest unto all men, as theirs also was. Spurgeon writes Paul laid bare the deceitful workings of the false teachers, boldly exposing them. However gentle we may be, we must not allow falsehood to be secretly spread, but must drag it out to the light and smite it till it dies. Verse 10. But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, and patience. Persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra. What persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Spurgeon writes this, Christ's soldiers must expect hard blows. The cross is always to be borne by those who trust in the crucified. It is idle and mean to endeavor to escape it. Must I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease while others fought to win the prize and sailed through bloody seas? Verse 13. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Spurgeon writes, There is no mending them. They must go on to the bitter end. Terrible will be their doom. Verse 14, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Spurgeon writes this happy Timothy to be thus prepared for the conflict with error happier still to be enabled by grace to remain steadfast in that truth which from a child he had been taught yet he needed to be exhorted to steadfastness and so do we never never may any one of us give ear to false doctrine but we but may we cling to the gospel with all our might Verse sixteen. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Spurgeon writes, never let us forget this. The whole of the Bible is inspired, and is to be devoutly received as the infallible truth of God get away from this and we have nothing left to hold by whatever we do let us never give up the bible those who would weaken our reverence for it are our worst enemies a stark reminder again isn't it scripture the bible the whole bible is to be uh, devoutly received Spurgeon says um Whatever we do, he says, let us never give up the Bible. Those who would weaken our reverence for it are our worst enemies. Do we, you and I, treasure the scriptures as we should? Do we look at the Bible as our most precious possession? Do we think about the scripture in such a way um, that we would say, you can take everything else you want, but don't take my Bible? The word of God is so important, isn't it? Um, For our faith, for our life, to teach us about who our God is. And so I think that's a really helpful reminder, a stark reminder to you and me, um, that we, we want to cling to the gospel. We want to cling to the scriptures. We want to cling to Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy chapter 4 now, the last chapter of 2 Timothy. Spurgeon opens, the chapter opens with the most solemn charge to young Timothy, coming from one who was so soon to seal his testimony with his blood, Timothy must have felt the power of it as long as he lived. Aged believers should impress upon the young the value of the gospel. Now, that's a very good, important reminder right there. Um, those of us who are older, do we seek to impress those who are younger than us about the value, the worth, the preciousness? Of the gospel of Christ. Do we do that? That's a very important and necessary thing uh, for us to do. Spurge, excuse me, verse 1, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine, Spurgeon writes this A minister is never off duty. He is not only to win souls whenever an opportunity occurs, but he is himself to make opportunities. Sound doctrine and zeal must go together in equal proportions. Dr. Ryland well said No sermon is likely to be useful which has not the three R's in it ruin by the fall, redemption by Christ, regeneration by the Holy Spirit. My aim in every sermon is to call sinners to quicken the saints, and to be made a blessing to all. Now that's a very helpful little acronym, isn't it? Or the, the, the three R's, right? The ruin by the fall, redemption by Christ, regeneration by the Holy Spirit. Maybe that's a very helpful way to think about um, uh, what, what our main message ought to be, right? Every single message should contain those three things uh, because time those three things are found in a sermon, it's likely to be useful verse 3 for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables but watch thou in all things endure afflictions do the work of an evangelist make full proof of thy ministry for i am now ready to be offered and the time of my departure is at hand spurgeon writes this i am already being poured out as a libation to god His sufferings had commenced, and he was ready to bear up under them, even to death. Yet how sweetly does he speak of his execution as a mere departure. He looked upon it only as a change of place, a removal to a better country. Verse 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the lord the righteous judge shall give me at that day and not to me only but unto all them also that love his appearing spurgeon writes he looked on life as a battle a race and a trust and having been faithful in all these he expected a gracious reward verse 9 do thy diligence to come shortly unto me for demas hath forsaken me having loved this present world and is departed unto thessalonica Crescens to Galatia, Titus unto Dalmatia. Spurgeon writes, As the leaves are gone in winter, so do friends leave us in adversity. Verse 11, Only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. Spurgeon says, This proves that he had changed his opinion about Mark, concerning whom he had differed with Barnabas. The apostle was not like some who will never relent. He was as ready to praise as he was honest to censure. Verse 12, Antiochus have I sent to Ephesus, the cloak that I left at Troas with Carpus, when thou comest, bring with thee and the books, but especially the parchments. Spurgeon writes this, shivering in prison, the poor and aged apostle needed his cloak. Desiring still to study the word of God, he sent for his books and notes. Verse 14, Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. THE LORD REWARD HIM ACCORDING TO HIS WORKS, OF WHOM BE THOU ware ALSO, FOR HE HATH GREATLY WITHSTOOD OUR WORDS. Spurgeon WRITES, PAUL SPAKE AS A PROPHET, NOT OUT OF PRIVATE ANGER, BUT BECAUSE THE MAN OPPOSED THE GOSPEL. VERSE 16, AT MY FIRST ANSWER NO ONE STOOD WITH ME, BUT ALL MEN FORSOOK ME. I PRAY GOD THAT IT MAY NOT BE LAID TO THEIR CHARGE, NOTWITHSTANDING THE LORD STOOD WITH ME AND STRENGTHENED ME, THAT BY ME THE PREACHING MIGHT BE FULLY KNOWN and that all the Gentiles might hear, and I was delivered out of the hand of the lion, out of the mouth of the lion, excuse me. Spurgeon writes, probably Nero, who well deserved this title. It was well for Paul that grace was given him under the terrible ordeal of facing such a monster of cruelty. And then verse 18, and the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Spurgeon has this at the end, to be sung or read. God hath laid up in heaven for me a crown which cannot fade. The righteous judge at that great day shall place it on my head. Nor hath the king of grace decreed the crown for me alone, but all that love and long to see the appearance of his son. And for you and me, as we read this letter, this last letter that we have from Paul we think about the crown that we are running towards and I think that's a very helpful reminder that we need to live our lives as a race a battle and a trust are you and I looking to the end like Paul was and looking forward to the crown or do you like me so often get distracted with the things of this world forget our purpose in life, uh, maybe maybe become too focused upon the things in this world and we forget that this world is temporary and, uh, and we want to be of most use we can. And so whenever we go and, and live our lives, um, we want to remember that, that everything we have, we are stewarding um, and that we will be held accountable. You know, we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And for believers, that is a reminder to us that whenever we stand before him, we're standing before our Savior who's loved us and who gave himself for us. Well, I hope this has been encouraging to you as we've read through the uh, 2 Timothy and uh, we walk through it with Spurgeon. Um, you've heard the text, you've heard his comments. Hopefully that's helpful as you've read the Bible this week, as you've thought about and meditated. And really that's what this podcast is intended to do, to help us to meditate, to help us to simply think, to take a some time out to just turn these things over in our minds, to turn the scriptures around and to think about them from different angles, to consider um, all of the things that God is saying to us in the Bible, to help us to really inculcate and make those things uh, deeper into our hearts and into our lives. Well, thank you for listening uh, to this next week. We will be in week 41 uh, for the week of October the 9th. Um, We will be reading Titus 1 through Hebrews 1. So I really appreciate you listening to this. Keep reading the New Testament. Take care and God bless.